the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back and happy Thursday, October 22nd, 2020. We go into the presidential debates tonight under conditions I don't think we've ever witnessed before. I'm not speaking of anything having to do with health safety. I'm speaking of the midst of a storm that has defied physics. The storm defies physics because nothing like it has ever been seen before. It hits the same neighborhoods, but only affects certain homes. Through February, we were still trying the president of the United States for impeachment based on a telephone call he had with his Ukrainian counterpart, asking the president of Ukraine to address corruption in his country as we supplied money and arms to Ukraine. The House of Representatives had already voted to impeach the president, and to quote the Speaker of the House, the president would be impeached forever. What we now have is evidence beyond peradventure that the former vice president, who's not the president yet, but a candidate for president, has a son who is doing big, big, big business in Ukraine and also China with a lot of documentation that while his dad was vice president, he was using his dad to further those business dealings and that his dad may have been a winning participant. What we do have is evidence based beyond peradventure that the vice president, when he was vice president, did dangle foreign aid over the head of the Ukraine on conditions of them firing a prosecutor who claims he was investigating the vice president's son's company. And what we have today going into the debate, what we've had since last year is a media that doesn't want to report on or investigate any of this at all. We have documents. We have the vice president's own words on video. We have corroborations from at least one business partner of the vice president's son. Oh, and we have the statements of the former vice president that email documents to the contrary, notwithstanding, he never spoke to his son about any of those business dealings. We also have a very wealthy son of the ex-vice president and an inexplicably very wealthy ex-vice president. What we don't have is, to repeat, a media that cares one whit about any of this. What we do have is a social media constellation that bans discussion of this. This is the storm I'm speaking of. Corruption, foreign countries, foreign policy, pay-for-play, foreign policy-for-play. It's a big storm. And yet, with much clearer skies and thinner clouds, the current president was impeached. With dark skies and clouds, with daily gathering force, gale force, the storm seems not to matter, not to be worthy of reporting, but yes, to be worthy of censoring. It's not just journalistic corruption. It's political corruption taken up by not just a political party, but corporate, private, social networks, which means it's really the corruption of an entire polity. polity. It affects all of us because it affects an election of the president. And it affects all of us because while a great many know there is something going on, they refuse to tell the people, the polity, about it. 
and a great deal of the polity does not want to know about it or let it get in the way of their political convictions. If a governor knew a storm or hurricane were coming and refused to tell his or her citizens, he or she would not just be impeached, but shamed out of a public career and respectability. Hung an effigy, or hanging an effigy, would be the least of it. We have a storm. We have a hurricane. And that is what is happening, a cover-up, a literal cover-up, but not from a governor or the president, but from the near entire media along with corporate social media and the entirety of an opposite opposing political party. This problem is not new, and it is not uncontemplated. Aristotle, in Book 5 of his Nicomachean Ethics, writes that when it comes to political justice, it Everywhere has the same force and does not exist by people's thinking this or thinking that. In other words, justice, especially political justice, should work the same regardless of interest or partisan preference. As Aristotle put it, fire burns in Athens as it burns in Persia. There is a natural uniform nature to justice, especially political justice, just as there is to fire. But that is not true in America today, not right now, and that is what rankles. Take two criminals. One steals from a Republican, one steals from a Democrat. Now take a police force, a prosecutor, and a courtroom that only arrests those who thieve from Democrats. Take a media that only reports on that thievery. Is that justice? Take a social media that allows discussion and republication of thievery against Democrats, but puts the kibosh on discussion and republication of thievery against Republicans. Is that justice? Take a party that cares about thievery against it, but not against its political opposites or opponents. Is that justice? Hell no, and it's not even politics, because you cannot have politics in a republic dedicated to fairness and justice when every structure to ensure fairness and justice is corrupt and one-sided. The word corrupt, it might be a good time to remind, comes from the Latin corruptus, meaning to destroy. In other words, not only is politics becoming impossible because corrupt, but the polity is in same like being destroyed. I quoted all Aristotle. Let me quote his teacher, Plato, for we are being forced back into the cave. We once lived unenlightened. We were then given enlightenment. We built a city around reality rather than fiction. And we are now being herded back into fiction, into darkness, back into the allegorical cave. This is obviously the opposite of progress. Those who lived in dark regimes know exactly what this is. When one party or the state in the hands of one party dictates what can and cannot be known, you have tyranny. I thought we got this. I thought we knew this. The whole, the whole point of the First Amendment was the chief bulwark to ensure this. As Jefferson put it, error of opinion may be tolerated where reason is left free to combat it. Okay, that is a beautiful expression and summary of free thought and the entire project of the Enlightenment. But what if reason is no longer allowed or free to combat errant opinion? 
perhaps now you can begin to understand why I worry so much and dedicate so much of my monologue time in the recent past to the concern over our blasé, indifferent, and impassive reaction to the rise and ascent of Marxist movements and beliefs here in America. It's not as if world history is not replete with examples and societies that did live that way, in Stygian darkness that tolerated no freedom of thought, opinion, press, that tolerated no reason. Turns out, in fact, America and freedom were the exception to those examples. It was but one of the very many things that made us unique by contrast to them, trusting the people, trusting truth, and allowing both to flourish. Which is why it also worries me when the very former vice president we spoke of above says things like he did yesterday, quote, America was an idea, an idea. We hold these truths to be self-evident. We never lived up to it, but we never walked away from it. And I just think we have to be more honest, let our kids know as we raise them what actually did happen, acknowledge our mistakes so we don't repeat them, close quote. What does he possibly mean by saying such a thing? Does anyone, anyone not acknowledge our mistakes? Or is the problem rather that we don't acknowledge our successes? And what is the notion that this country was an idea? And why can't he complete that sentence ever, self-evident that all men were created equal? And what does he mean by never lived up to it? Did the 7,000 Americans who fought our revolution and died not live up to it? What are the subsequent one and a half million Americans that died in all our other wars? And that's just militarily. What of all the people in this country who have done other patriotic duty? And finally, how do you not walk away from it if you are not walking in support of it? Let me try that this way. We've never walked away from what, Mr. Biden? A great thing? A great idea? Now please tell me, what idea was 1619? Did we or did we not walk away from that? Was not 1776 a walking away from it? Was not the revolution and the Civil War and the Civil Rights Acts a walking away from it? A redounding to Marxism is the very walking away from 1776. And what I worry about more than anything else is that the walk has become a run. I worry about political leaders thinking we are only an idea. I worry about people who think the greater idea is to distort and bury the ideas of 1776. Here's our problem. As Harry Jaffa wrote, in 1776, the United States was, so to speak, nothing, but it promised to become everything. Having become everything, we now must worry that it will turn to or become nothing. Charles Kessler adds this, the U.S. will become nothing if it suffers a great military defeat in the next war. But more profoundly, the U.S. will become nothing if it becomes persuaded that it stands for nothing. When the central ideas of our political traditions become blurred and obscured, when Americans no longer understand what it is that makes them a people, then they will cease to be a people. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, 602-508-0960. Little uh, Sammy Kershaw country version of uh, Tom Petty song. I guess that's appropriate since the presidential debate will be in Nashville, Tennessee tonight. 
although Sammy's a Louisiana boy. In any event, a lot to do today. Let's start with Ryan in Gilbert. Hi, Ryan. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Seth? I'm doing just fine. Thank you, sir. Um, well, I'm taking a course uh, online through Hillsdale College called Introduction to uh, Western Philosophy. And, oh, how uh, fun. Uh, yeah, it's Nathan, I think Schroeder is the uh, professor. And I didn't really understand all the media and why everybody believes, you know, so many lies until I learned about Plato and, and Plato's cave. And, you know, how there's different levels under the cave and the, the lights are showing um, all these images, what people think are the truth, when up you know, outside the cave is the, is the truth. And I just, that's what's happening. And, and I never knew, you know, I've listened to your show, but I never knew you were so much into philosophy till I heard you talk about doublethink, uh, George Orwell, yes, I think it was yesterday. Yeah. And yeah, I speak, I speak a fair amount about doublethink. I think it's, a, it, there's, there's about, well, there's three or four things uh, in literature that explain our times really well. George Orwell, I redound to a lot, especially 1984, although we were discussing his essay on fascism the other day as well. Yeah. And um, a short story by uh, Kurt Vonnegut Jr. called Harrison Bergeron. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but I redound yes. to that a lot, yep. too. I've read that. Yep. Yeah. So those two. And then, of course, my first loves, uh, uh, Aristotle, Plato, and uh, Lincoln. Um, I suppose is 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 the heart of my political philosophy. The Hillsdale connection is um, is big uh, here because the president of Hillsdale, Larry Arn, uh, yes. was the one of the president was uh, one of the presidents of the Claremont Institute, Institute, one of the founders of the Claremont Institute. And Larry okay. Arn and I both had the same uh, teacher, uh, Harry Jaffa, who was an Aristotle and Lincoln scholar. So that's okay. why there may be a lot of similarities in the way we see these things. But yeah, I've talked about Plato's Cave before because there's a lot of elements to it. And um, we can talk about it. I like what you said, which is you never really understood how we see the world differently, uh, how the same people can see same same country your fellow countrymen can see the world so very differently yeah yeah your world view yes exactly and what we have tried to do is and i kind of play off the notion of coming out of the cave into the light i kind of play off the notion that you know our founding came in something we call the enlightenment and that it's a sad thing and a um a, a, you know, a regress, if you will, that we would return back to the cave, return yeah. back to darkness as we turn towards ideologies we thought we defeated, like Marxism right. or Marxist-Leninism right. or Maoism, right? Yeah. But the wow. interesting thing about the cave, to me, in this very example that you um, – that you're talking about, uh, Ryan, is that when you read it, what is it? It's book seven, I think, right? Book seven of the Republic. If you, when you're reading it, the first big problem is people coming out of the cave and realizing they were living or looking at a lie. 
it's yeah. it's very hard for them. It's very hard for them to adapt. And Plato talks about, you know, the light stinging their eyes or burning their eyes yeah. and how they have to squint, yeah. right? It's very yeah. hard for them. It's not an easy thing. Uh, I kind of un- would analogize it to saving someone who's drowning. What do they do? They fight you by nature, right? If you try and rescue yeah. someone who's drowning, they fight it's very to um, expose uh, someone who's lived it their whole life or who thought that was the truth their whole life. That's part of our great challenge. But at the end of the day, even though I think Plato says this, even though there is a temptation to go back into the cave, um, what's the real temptation Plato says is it's to go back in the cave to bring out the other prisoners, isn't it? To show them what they've discovered. And they will fight yeah. him. They will think he's the abnormal one. That's the funny thing. The cave dwellers will think the enlightened man is the nut, yeah. is the crazy person. <laughs> and, yep, and, and exactly. Boy, I just and can't think of a better template to describe our where we are today. Yep. And that's when, you know, Trump supporters, they hear it from everybody. Even my kids say, oh, I can't talk about Trump at school because they'll think I'm crazy, Dad. Yeah, there you, you go. <laughs> school is yeah. a pretty good a school is a pretty good synecdoche for the game. <laughs> That's a pretty yeah. good example of one. Yeah, it yeah. is. Yep. So, but and but we have but God. you know if if you believe in the enlightenment, more importantly, if you believe in freedom, we have a duty, a duty we can't shirk, to go back yeah. in and rescue our fellow human beings, don't we? Yep. We have that duty because. Yes. Um, the darkness is powerful. It's so powerful that it it comes to us without us even noticing it. It, it. it comes to us without us even knowing what we're talking about when we cite, you know, movements like BLM yeah. and we don't go and look, well, what's underlying this? What is yes. it Alicia Garza actually stands for and supports? As I did in my monologue yesterday, I think it was yesterday. Yep. She's yeah, talking about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. She's talking. If you go back and read who her heroes are, Mao, Che Guevara, yeah. Lenin. Well, holy cow. Somewhere along the lines, I remember reading a history. We spent a twilight struggle <laughs> defeating that. Yep. And here they are back. It's subtle. And here they are back. Yeah. 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 And no one wants to talk about it. Um, no one wants to expose it. CBS will happily promote it as it did. I I, I can't get past it. I can't yeah. get past the promotional interview they did of her on CBS Sunday morning a few days, uh, what, four or five days ago. I can't get past it. Asked her nothing about Marxism. Asked nothing about her previous works. Asked well, nothing have- about her underlying beliefs. The only thing they elicited is that, and they didn't comment on it. I did. The, 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 the catalyst for her activism was not being arrested. Yeah, something not that being arrested. <laughs> She's 12 <laughs> or 17. We don't know. A cop comes yeah. up to her. She's smoking marijuana, and he gives her a warning. And she, and she imagines what that would have happened like to someone else. This is in the days of when we actually enforce drug laws a little harder. Harsher. I hear the music. You're welcome yeah. to stay, but I got to take this hard break, um, Brian. I'll be right back. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Welcome back. 
to the Seth Leapson Show, 602-508-0960. Uh, Ryan, are you still there? Did you have a couple extra closing thoughts you wanted to share? I did. I just had uh, two things. One thing, Larry Arn does the introduction of that uh, course that I'm taking. Uh-huh. And also, and also um, just a question for you, like, what kinds of other formats can can we as conservatives besides twitter and and facebook can you know is there something that a platform that somebody can you know like is there something coming that we can use besides that you know well thank you uh i appreciate it ryan um aside from talk radio let's put that in front of it all <laughs> yeah there are a um there are a uh, a um there are a few competitors. Uh, one of them is called Parler, P-A-R-L-E-R. That's probably the most prominent uh, competitors to Twitter. Um, and I've been on it. I haven't been on it in a long time. It was a little, little clunky and a little probably rushed to market for my tastes. Um, that's, I suppose, kind of the problem when you develop a medium that becomes so universal that it's really very, very hard for a startup or a competitor to engage or to um, get an advantage or a competitive advantage. Um, so it's very difficult. And I think, I think, you know, this is all so, so such a, such a, such virgin territory I think what we're going to be looking at is probably some form of regulation of that which already exists and dominates. Be Facebook, Google, or that's that's my guess. And the debates range the gamut from um, antitrust to uh, Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act to maybe the most controversial of all which is extending basically um, First Amendment application to social media. Um, that, that's, that's my guess where it's going to go. The next question really becomes what you raise with me, which is so fascinating to me, that as an adult, you're looking at online education to get courses and lessons in that which either you didn't get when you were younger or didn't speak to you when you were younger. You're studying Plato, God knows, now. And it's just so sad that higher education, by and large, has dropped that stuff. We don't get good Western political philosophy anymore if we get it at all, except at places like Hillsdale. Because there, of course, has been a rejiggering of what used to be known as the core curriculum and anything, you know, from dead white males is, is, uh, out the door, out the window, or at least diminished so severely that you don't get experts in it anymore. You can't really go to a graduate school and earn a PhD in the study of Aristotle or Plato, someone like that, and expect great employment prospects in the academy. And this is what's so very, very sad. And one of the reasons I have high hopes for an enforcement provision that uh, the president and the Department of Education have undertaken 
is uh, the holding back and withdrawing of uh, federal funds to institutions of higher learning, to our colleges and universities, where they engage in censorship. Now, that won't mandate that they teach Plato and Aristotle, and I'm not saying Plato and Aristotle is the be-all and end-all and everything you need, but at least it will help if it's enforced. It'll help student groups bring in alternative speakers, and it may ultimately help future academics to apply for openings on a more even playing field or in a more even keel without ideological bias. It may. I hope springs eternal on it. But, you know, this is such the fascinating thing to me about Americans. We lose so much by not teaching our youth the good stuff. But the good stuff is so good. As Plato says, what is good endures. It's so good that adults want to get it later in life. What a shame we don't get it earlier in life. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. It's a delight to welcome back to our airwaves the director of press communications for the Trump re-election campaign, Aaron Perini. Aaron, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. You betcha. Big debate tonight. Um, president has been on a roll. I loved that he released the 60 Minutes interview because I think, well, first of all, full disclosure, it's full disclosure. They were going to show parts of it. He showed the whole thing. I love that. And I love that he is um, also uh, bringing uh, Hunter Biden's uh, former business partner, partner Tony Bobolinsky, to the debate tonight. Tell us, tell us what your thoughts are about this whole issue with Tony Bobolinsky and, and Hunter and Joe Biden. Well, I think that this shows what we have been asking the media to do all along: is ask the question: Is Joe Biden lying to the American people? Did he? talked to his son about his foreign business dealings and what did that conversation look like? But the media immediately went into protect Joe Biden mode. And then they didn't want to ask the questions. They immediately were dismissive of anything that insinuated that they produce, they produce and they protect journalistic integrity in this country because they're really just the communications arm for Democrats. That's the way they've been behaving. And that's what we've seen time and again. So we know what the case is here. These are questions that need to be asked and answered, and maybe the journalists of the United States can actually do their jobs for once. You know, this is what we've been asking. This is what we've been pushing. This is what we have been applying pressure for. You interact with the press a lot as the director of press uh, communications for the reelection campaign. So I wanted to ask you kind of a psychological question, Aaron. Um, do you think they realize the mass of the mass media? Do you think they realize that they should be ashamed of themselves, that they're engaged in a partisan cover-up? Or do you think the goal is so important to them that they think they're doing right by the American public? Yeah, I think that truly journalists in this country think that they are they are the saviors to the nation and that yeah. their work uh, trying to hide the facts from the American people, they're so truly blinded by Trump derangement syndrome. They really can't even see how biased they are most of the time. They don't want to believe it even when we point it out to them as fact. The way that they frame their questions, the way that they try and engage with us on the campaign, we're like, hey, guys, your bias is showing them, no, you can never accuse us of that. When in fact, that's exactly what they're doing. But listen, we're going to be here fighting for this president every single day, even with the biased media, because this isn't anything new for us. 
This is how it's always been, where the media is so blinded by the fact that they hate President Trump, that he doesn't care about what they think and the way they would do things, uh, that we're going to keep fighting the way the president does. Well, he, he's a great fighter and he's got a great team and you're part of it, Aaron. What tonight will be a success for you during the debate? Uh, it, once the debate ends, what will you what will you be looking for and what will you be promoting uh, as as a successful debate debate performance? What are the outcomes you're looking for? Yeah, we you know, we're going to see President Trump tonight be able to talk about the 47 months of success he's had leading this country versus Joe Biden's 47 years of failure. Uh, being able to show that highlight and give that contrast and point that out to the American people, that's going to be able to, for us to really show what's at stake uh, in a way that the media won't, because they, they want to try and cover for Joe Biden and pretend like he's not an unmitigated disaster, whether it's economic policy or foreign policy or whatever it may be. Joe Biden has failed the American people. We want to show that contrast, not only in terms of style of leadership, but of success of leadership. And that's what you'll see tonight. Is it shocking to you that even as recently as yesterday, Vice President, former Vice President Biden, Joe Biden, is talking around things that seem to be kind of important to the American people in a way that gives no confidence as to where he is? For example, asked yesterday about whether he supports in, uh, uh, packing the courts. He, he now has gone from I'm not going to give an answer to I will I will create a commission to study the issue. Is, is this not something that should how should I put it? Give give a lot of pause to the American people that Joe Biden simply won't be straight with the American people. You have Donald Trump like him or dislike him. You know where he is. Joe Biden. He has a spine made of spaghetti, basically cooked, overcooked spaghetti. Absolutely. Joe Biden can't be honest with the American people because it means that the squad and the extreme radicals of the party that he is holding the policies for and running on, they haven't told him what to say. And so until they do, he's going to try to waver and waffle and not be concrete on things. But we know what's going to happen. Joe Biden's going to try and pack the Supreme Court the same way they try and pack the Supreme Court in communist countries and in socialist nations. We know what this is. So we're going to call it out for what it is each and every time we see it. It's Joe Biden again, being weak, and Joe Biden trying to hide the facts from the American people that he wants to destroy the fabrics of our country that we have so grown to love and defend. One, one of the things I love, Aaron, about uh, Donald Trump, President Trump, releasing the entire 60 Minutes interview that Leslie Stahl did with him, I watched the whole thing. I, I, one of the things that's just a real divide right now, and I hope people see it for what it is, when you do an interview like that, as you do any interview, you're going to have cuts and excerpts that are put into the final product. The president is so unafraid, he released the whole darn thing, unedited, uncut, and that's really what playing straight with the American people is, I think, don't you? Absolutely. Listen, the fake news is going to try and spin up, spin up drama and lie about this president and what he does for the American people, and he's unafraid. He knows what that interview was. He knows how it happened. So he's got no problem whatsoever using the facts and showing how biased the media is and how blinded they are by their hatred for this president and for the people of this country. You will see it. And the president is unafraid to show it to the American people because they're going to try to lie about him. He's not going to let that happen. 
Yeah, it's really interesting because the headlines were all about him storming out of this interview. You see it. That's not what happened. The interview was effectively over. Leslie Stahl did not put up an argument about it. The vice president was the next to go. You can see what happened and you can see how the media distorts things. This was no storming out. He said, I think we've covered everything. He got up and he said, it's it's Pence's turn. It was really, it was really a very different world from what the media painted this as for 24 hours. Oh, yeah, but that's how the media always is. They want to try again to spin lies and drama, and they're trying to report on something they weren't part of and they didn't see and they haven't actually done any sourcing on. So, again, they're just trying to be like, oh, yeah, this is what we're hearing, but they don't actually know. This is exactly what happened with Russia collusion and with the Ukraine call. It's the media's motive to try and lie to the American people about the president, because if they were honest and they actually covered what this president does and how successful he is for this country— you would see a completely different tone and tenor in this country, but that's not what they want because they don't like the fact that Donald Trump doesn't care what they think. He doesn't kowtow to them. Well, I like that fact, and I know you do, and you're working on behalf of it. Aaron Perini, thank you for your time. I want to keep you busy, so I want to let you go on to someone else or some other activity here as we get ready for the debate tonight. But thanks for spending some of your time with us. It means a ton to us. Thank you. All right. We'll talk to you later. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Um, Acting Deputy uh, Secretary to Homeland Security, um, Ken Cuccinelli, is going to be with us at the top of the next hour discussing the efforts by China, Russia, and Iran to influence the American election. I don't know if you have seen the story that John Ratliff has put out, but Maybe you're even recipients of it. I don't know. Probably not, since they were mostly targeting Democrats in battleground states like Florida, Arizona, and Pennsylvania. Um, But these are texts and emails that were sent out from a group purportedly to be the Proud Boys, which is ridiculous, but which uh, in fact has um, uh, links to uh, an Iranian um, an Iranian campaign to um, interfere with our elections. And if you haven't seen this story reported, again, don't be surprised. As I was talking about with Aaron in the last segment, uh, the media doesn't give it to you. If this were Russia interfering on behalf of Republicans, this would be everywhere. And I don't understand why. Maybe it goes back to what I was saying in my monologue. But effectively, Either outside interference and campaigns is a problem, or it isn't. And whether it's from Russia, whether it's from Iran, whether it's from China, whether it's from Micronesia, it should not matter. But we have found out and figured out that there are elements from Russia, but also China and Iran, that are trying to interfere in our election with disinformation campaigns. And uh, as I said, Ken Cuccinelli from Homeland Security is going to be with us at the top of the next hour to talk more about it. It reminds me of uh, the first caller we had today. Um, uh, uh, Where do we go from? Where do we go for more information? Where do we go for news? Clearly, it's not CBS. Clearly, CBS is more interested in covering up uh, crimes of the Democrats and promoting Marxism. That's where CBS is. Who knew that sentence would be uttered in 2020? 
but that's exactly where they are. So yeah, you got to go to the one place where we will not filter or censor the news. And then you can do your own research if you want from there. And that's obviously talk radio. We would like to get back to a point where we can do it on social media, but Twitter and Facebook, and now I have to say YouTube, have put in so many rules and catches about what is okay and what is not that maybe the last bastion is talk radio. Anyway, Ken Cuccinelli coming right up. Don't go away. 